You're on call and you've been asked to see a patient on the ward with worsening shortness of breath. The handover you received said the patient was stable on two liters of oxygen via nasal prongs this morning. The nurse tells you that the patient is now on six liters of oxygen by nasal prongs and their oxygen saturation is 88%. As you walk into the room, the patient is sitting up in bed, leaning forward, and their lips are pursed. You can only get a few words out of them before they begin coughing. Today, our patient has hypoxic respiratory failure, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, Get the O2, an approach to hypoxic respiratory failure. Time for a minute physiology. Every time we take a breath, air enters through our mouth and nose, travels down the trachea into progressively smaller airways, which conduct the air to the alveolar sacs. The alveoli are tiny air sacs off distal bronchioles and are lined by alveolar type 1 and 2 cells and macrophages. Alveoli are kept open throughout respiration by surfactant. A network of capillaries encircle the alveoli, forming the alveolar capillary membrane. The alveolar capillary membrane is composed of alveolar cells, interstitial cells, endothelial cells of capillaries, and basement membrane. The ability of the lungs to exchange gas depends on the thickness of the basement membrane, the available surface area, the pressure differential of oxygen across the basement membrane, and the availability of hemoglobin. In normal lungs, the partial pressure of oxygen is just over 100 millimeters of mercury. The oxygen quickly binds hemoglobin upon entering the capillaries, with some oxygen being dissolved in the blood. As blood travels away from the alveoli and through the arterial system, oxygen is offloaded from hemoglobin to the systemic cells to be used in aerobic metabolism. By the time deoxygenated blood returns to the heart, the partial pressure of oxygen has decreased to 40 millimeters of mercury in healthy individuals. Issues with oxygenation can arise at the level of the airways, alveoli, pulmonary, or systemic capillaries, or be due to poor oxygen delivery or inadequate uptake from mitochondrial cells, leading to tissue hypoxia. Alright, now that we've talked about the minute physiology, let's talk about the approach. As you approach the patient with hypoxia on call, there are a few things that need to be done right away. Following this, you will then need to determine the etiology of respiratory failure for definitive management. First, ensure continuous pulse oximetry and adequate oxygenation. Oxygen delivery devices differ in rates of flow and oxygen concentration provided. We'll talk more about this later. You will need to pick the device that is most suitable depending on your patient characteristics and clinical setting. The goal is to increase systemic oxygen levels by increasing diffusion into the capillary circulation through increasing the partial pressure of oxygen. A safe saturation target is an SpO2 above 92%. Although some patients with COPD, particularly those who retain carbon dioxide, are often titrated to 88 to 92%. In emergency situations, it is often best to use a non-rebreather mask in order to provide excess oxygen, which you can then titrate down once you have a better sense of your patient's clinical situation. Next, ensure patency of the patient's airway. This may mean improving patient position, use of an oral or nasal airway, or intubation if mental status is poor, there is airway edema, or rapid clinical deterioration. 
Things to look out for include strider, sternal indrawing, hoarseness, drooling or inability to swallow, or unresponsiveness. As a safety point, if you are considering intubation, get extra help as soon as possible. Early ICU or anesthesia involvement can make sure this happens in a safe and controlled setting. Next, assess the patient's breathing pattern and auscultate the lung. Is the breathing pattern regular or irregular? Are breath sounds present bilaterally? These clues may help you identify life-threatening causes of hypoxia, such as hypoventilation and pneumothorax. Abdominal paradox, pursed lip breathing, tripoding, accessory muscle use, and tachypnea are all signs of increased work of breathing to look out for. Quiet or absent breath sounds in a patient with previously increased work of breathing is a red flag. Your patient may be tiring and need ventilatory assistance. A quiet chest in an asthmatic is also ominous, as it is a sign that airway narrowing is preventing adequate airflow from occurring. Finally, address any circulatory issues which may be contributing to poor perfusion. Myocardial infarction, heart failure, shock, and hypothermia will impact oxygen delivery and will need urgent treatment. On history, ask about chest pain, chest tightness or heaviness, and palpitations. Look for signs of tachycardia, hypotension, cyanosis, and cold mottled skin. These conditions may also impact the reliability of your pulse oximetry, so make sure that you are getting a good waveform if you're using a finger pulse oximeter or consider the use of a forehead or ear probe. Now, once the patient is stabilized, you can then shift your focus towards establishing a differential diagnosis. The most common cause of hypoxic respiratory failure is hypoxemia, which is defined as an arterial partial pressure of oxygen less than 60 millimeters of mercury. Common causes of hypoxemia include low FiO2, hypoventilation, VQ mismatch, shunt, diffusion abnormality, and poor cardiac output. The AA gradient is a useful tool that can help narrow down the differential for patients with unexplained hypoxemia. It is a measure of the difference in oxygen pressure in the alveolar and arterial systems. One clever analogy to explain the AA gradient is to imagine oxygen traveling through the body like a river with a waterfall in the middle. The lungs are the first part of the river, the alveolar capillary membrane is the waterfall, and the pulmonary arterial system is the second part of the river. A decrease in the water level throughout the river is analogous to poor oxygen delivery throughout all parts of the system. Hypoventilation and low FiO2 are two situations that cause inadequate oxygen delivery to the alveolar and arterial system. Since the oxygen concentration in both systems decreases proportionally, the AA gradient doesn't change. Hypoventilation is a significant cause of hypoxic respiratory failure. Common causes of hypoventilation include neuromuscular diseases that affect the diaphragm or intercostal muscles, or drugs that cause CNS depression. On history, ask about dysarthria, dysphagia, difficulty clearing mucus, or history of recurrent aspiration events. On physical exam, look for kyphoscoliosis and asymmetrical chest expansion. Depending on the stability of the patient, a full neurologic exam to assess for proximal and distal muscle weakness fatigability, and hyperreflexia may be warranted. Check the patient's medication record to see if there are narcotics or sedatives that could be decreasing respiratory driver effort. 
Altered level of consciousness, especially in combination with narrowed pupils, may indicate a drug-related cause of respiratory depression, such as opiate overdose. This is typically the most common cause of new hypoventilation in an admitted patient. Now back to our analogy. Imagine instead of a decreased water level in our river system, there is now an obstruction, say at the level of the waterfall. This is analogous to poor diffusion of oxygen from the alveolar to arterial system due to a blockage at the alveolar capillary membrane. The result is an elevated AA gradient due to higher oxygen pressure on the alveolar side compared to the arterial side. Of the causes of hypoxemia with elevated AA gradient, VQ mismatch is the most common issue you are likely to see on call. There are many causes of VQ mismatch, some of which include pneumonia, pulmonary edema, COPD, asthma, interstitial lung disease, and pulmonary embolism. As you approach your patient with hypoxia, getting a relevant past medical history for conditions such as CHF, COPD, asthma, or interstitial lung disease can give you a clue as to whether the patient's presentation may be due to an exacerbation of their underlying disease. If the patient has a history of venous thromboembolism, active malignancy, or has had a prolonged immobilization or recent surgery, pulmonary embolism should be higher on the differential. Symptoms of infection such as increased cough, sputum production, fevers, or chills, and increased frequency of inhaler use may be clues to an underlying pneumonia or infectious COPD exacerbation. On physical examination, look out for tachycardia as this may be a subtle clue for pulmonary embolism as well. The presence of tachypnea with associated wheeze may be indicative of an asthma or COPD exacerbation. Conditions that lead to VQ mismatch should be responsive to oxygenation. If there is no response to oxygenation, then there may be an anatomic or physiologic shunt. Shunt occurs when the blood does not undergo oxygenation at the lungs. This can happen if there is no blood flow access to the site of gas exchange, as in an intracardiac shunt, or if the blood flow is under high pressure and there is limited time for gas exchange, as seen in arterial venous malformation. ARDS is an example of physiologic shunt where oxygen exchange is limited by the presence of widespread edema in the alveoli. Let's talk about our workup. Laboratory testing should be targeted towards determining the extent of hypoxia and finding the etiology. In addition to the basic blood work of CBC, electrolytes, creatinine, and lactate, tests such as troponin and BNP should be considered for patients in whom a cardiac cause of hypoxia is suspected. An ABG can be helpful in narrowing down the differential diagnosis, as it is needed to calculate the AA gradient. However, this is often not necessary if a reason for hypoxia is apparent. Indications for an ABG include suspected and accurate pulse oximetry measurement, identification and monitoring of acid-based disturbances, and measurement of the partial pressure of oxygen and carbon dioxide. While venous blood gas may be ordered in these situations, it can only tell you about ventilation or exchange of carbon dioxide, and it does not provide any information on oxygenation. It is also important to be aware that patients in shock or who have poor cardiovascular function or who have results at the extreme end of acid-based disturbances may have inaccurate VBG values and thus correlation with an ABG is suggested. Most patients with hypoxia should have a chest x-ray done to look for potentially life-threatening causes such as pneumothorax, pneumonia, and ARDS. 
Obtaining an ECG may be helpful if they're suspicious of ACS or underlying arrhythmia that may be leading to the presentation. A CT chest may also be helpful for evaluation for pulmonary embolism or for better characterization of abnormalities found on chest x-ray. Finally, point-of-care ultrasound is an extremely useful tool for differentiating the causes of hypoxia. POCUS can be used to identify pericardial tamponade, the presence of a pneumothorax, or to assess volume status in patients for whom pulmonary edema may be a concern. On to our treatment. For most patients, treatment for hypoxic respiratory failure generally begins with oxygen to maintain an oxygen saturation greater than 92%. There are several devices that can be used to deliver oxygen, and they differ based on flow rate, maximal oxygen concentration, and whether they are open or closed system. When selecting an oxygen device, factors to consider include the current oxygen requirements of the patient, the patient's respiratory rate, and their level of consciousness. In patients who are awake and able to breathe through their nose, nasal prongs can be used. These deliver oxygen at a flow rate of 0.5 to 6 liters, with maximal oxygen concentration of approximately 40 to 50%. The oxygen concentration is variable and depends on the respiratory rate of the patient. A general rule of thumb is that each additional liter per minute of oxygen through nasal prongs delivers an additional 3% of FiO2. When precise titration of oxygen concentration is important, or if the patient is mouth breathing, a venturi mask can be helpful. Venturi masks provide oxygen concentrations which range from 25 to 50% depending on the colored orifice used. For patients with rapidly progressing oxygen demands or progressive hypoxia despite maximal oxygen flow rate, high-flow oxygen devices serve to deliver oxygen at high flow rates. These devices are beneficial in that they deliver humidified oxygen, limiting mucosal dryness and bleeding risk. High-flow oxygen devices are often useful when oxygen demands cannot be met by typical nasal cannula or venturi mask, but significant positive pressure is not required. Temporizing measures such as non-rebreathers which deliver 100% oxygen can be used as a bridge until a more appropriate oxygen device is available or definitive management is possible. Non-invasive ventilation such as CPAP and BiPAP are useful in select settings such as congestive heart failure, COPD, or in very specific cases to delay intubation. These systems provide ventilatory assistance and positive end expiratory pressure, or PEEP, through a tight-fitting face mask, allowing for precise control of oxygen concentration. However, because of the tight mask seal, they are contraindicated in patients with decreased level of consciousness due to the risk of aspiration. The choice of the oxygen device will ultimately depend on the clinical context, patient presentation, and progression of symptoms. Time for a medicine minute. We owe much of our ability to identify hypoxia to Dr. Takuo Ayagi. Dr. Ayagi, an electrical engineer from Japan, is credited as the inventor of the modern pulse oximeter. Pulse oximeters work by emitting two different wavelengths of length, red and infrared. Oxygen saturation, or SpO2, is based on the relative amount of red and infrared light that is absorbed by the blood. With the rise of the pulse oximeter use in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, There has been increased scrutiny of the ability of pulse oximeters to detect accurate oxygen saturations in patients with darker skin tones. In a Nedgem article from December 2020, Schoding et al. showed that when compared to an ABG, pulse oximeter measurements resulted in higher rates of occult hypoxemia in black patients compared to white patients. 
This study highlighted the importance of improving the diagnostic accuracy of pulse oximeters for safe and equitable patient care. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Get the O2, an Approach to Hypoxic Respiratory Failure. This episode is written by Dr. Anna Tyker, internal medicine resident, Dr. Christine Darcini, respirology and critical care, and Dr. Amelia Wilkinson, general internal medicine. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Kira Liblick. The Internet Work series is created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Allison Lai, Leah Karianopoulos, and Zara Morelli. Theme song by Lakshman Fazantha Mohan. As always, we have an associated infographic on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you again soon.